You're listening to the No Hacks Marketing Podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into online marketing topics covering search, content, CRO, social, and performance optimization to help you level up your marketing. No hacks, no shortcuts, only long-term success. Here are your hosts, Slobodan Manich and Katherine Kambau. Welcome to a brand new episode of No Hacks Marketing. I'm excited for today's episode because this is a personal favorite and something I feel strongly about, privacy and personalization. More and more consumers are wary of sharing their data with businesses or anywhere online. Yet, I'll include myself, we crave for personalized experiences and it's quite ironic as you can tell. So today we're going to talk about why personalization is far from being dead. It's misunderstood. And here to tell us why personalization matters more today is Kate Cook, the analytics lead at the Lumery. She's also known as the attribution gal, a puzzle-loving data geek who jumped the fence from specialists and generalists and back. She combines her breadth of omni-channel experience to help marketers unearth customer insights and attribute the impact of their strategies. And it's our lucky day because we don't only have Kate, but we also have Darshana Patel, the lead client partner at the Lumery, an expert in leveraging personalization across the customer journey. Kate and Darshana, welcome. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of our favorite topics. So thanks for having us. Yes, yes. I'm I'm really excited about this again because there's this paradox and marketers know about this that there are data breaches and unethical use of data concerns, yet our consumers are waiting for us to provide them the most personalized experience. So we need to kind of walk a fine line between providing a customized experience and reaching our audience in a non-intrusive and authentic way. I guess a good way to get started is to talk about, you know, so aware of the cookie apocalypse, the Apple's app tracking transparency, DuckDuckGo and everything. First of all, let's just talk about privacy first. Like, where do you see the privacy movement going and how does it affect personalization? Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting one over the years, right? Because I think with with great kind of responsibility, all organizations and regardless of kind of big or small have created this understanding in consumers that we have this huge responsibility to look after our customer data. I think like over the years, consumers have become a little bit shy about their data sharing, knowing that so to, to others. And for this reason, I guess for me, privacy has become in, inextricably linked with brand and our association with brand and our trust of brands. So like one example for me recently was flying to Melbourne last week. I can see that Uber is connected to my Qantas app, Qantas who I flew with to, to get down to Melbourne. And I know working in this industry that it's highly likely that there's a data partnership probably going on between those two brands. And that means that by default, I have to just trust that those brands are going to do the right thing by me. And because I'm certainly not going through and and reading the in-depth terms and conditions for everything, and no one is. I think the last stat that I read said that that would take six weeks of anyone's time to read all of the terms and conditions that we sign off on every day. It's just not realistic. So personalization has just become about brand trust, I think, at least for me. Yeah, I think. Off the back of that, if I put you know my customer hat on, the reason why this is important is that customers see it as a key differentiator of brand. And there's another stat out there that talks to the percentage of customers who expect personalized content. And if they didn't receive personalized content, then 
it's highly likely it would that would be a deterrent from them buying or taking that next best action. So I think as consumers, we understand that our data is being collected and stored. So if that's the case, use my data to make my life easy and do the right thing by me with my data. Right. As a step back, can we define what personalization means in marketing and what is the main goal? Yeah, cool. So I mean, at the Lumery, we define personalization as the alignment of marketing, digital sales and data and tech departments actually. And and personalization is actually activated through the art and science of harnessing our data and tech um, in order to tailor experiences that increase customer engagement, influence conversion, and ultimately create customer intimacy. Thing to add there, Kate. I would just say that I guess from a measurement perspective, being more from the analytics side of things, personalization for me is all around kind of measuring the short and long-term impacts of these kinds of experiences. So relation for marketing, we want to be able to execute personalized experiences absolutely to support our customers. And often that means that we need to take a long-term view of measurement, but we can also execute it really tactically to try to impact an immediate KPI as well. So I guess, yeah, there's a lot that it can be. And that's probably part of the reason why it's so confusing as a topic to start unpacking. Right. And, And for me, like, I think we all agree that the customer is willing to share their data if they see a good enough value exchange. And you've you've mentioned it also earlier that if there has to be brand trust and who doesn't want to have, if I'm interested only in this topic, I want to receive information about this topic and not things that don't matter to me. So I think we can all say that personalization definitely exists despite the privacy concerns and the privacy oriented movement. It's something that we should still focus on as marketers and just off the top of my head, like when we see personalization efforts from e-commerce brands, do you th- do you think like it's half big? Like if I see an e-commerce store, an online store where I can buy clothes, I would usually be greeted with a quiz. What's your a style quiz? What's your what are you looking for? What type of material, design, style? What's your body shape? Is that can we say that's personalization? For sure. I mean, I think if I if we go back to your question around our personalization, if it's half-baked, I think there are a lot of brands out there that do personalization really well based on their maturity across people, process, tech, and data. I think one of the challenges that we have with personalization, personalization as a tactic and then personalization as an organization-wide approach, and there's a, there's a big difference between the two, but Organizations like the Spotify's, the Netflix, the Amazons of the world, they have data that they can activate and use for personalization across a range of channels so that you are really able to stamp their authority in terms of like their relevancy and how, how they're really driving customer intimacy. But equally, I think that there's an opportunity for organizations who want to deliver best in breed personalization to actually figure out what personalization looks like for them and then work towards that across raising their maturity across people, process, tech, and data. I think we all start somewhere. And for your e-commerce brands that are trying to glean data around your preferences and your, 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 your body type or your 
the, your favorite type of fabric. This is just a means in which they're collecting data to try and provide you with a personalized experience. So I wouldn't say that anyone out there is deliberately half-baking a personalization approach. I just think there's a lot of opportunity to really strengthen what that personalization approach is. Right. And see, since you mentioned the difference between like personalization as a marketing tactic versus like an organization-wide approach, let's let's unpack that a little bit. So when brands try to apply personalization as a marketing tactic, are you saying it's not wrong, but it's not enough? Yeah, totally. I think if we take a step back and sort of just unpick what we mean by like a short-term tactic and then or a tactical lever and then an all-wide approach, like personalization can be seen as like a, a tactical lever to improve experiences across channels. And the focus there is more your sh- sort of short-term results. So they achieving a target, being able to showcase. Then on the other hand, you've got personalization that's used to describe a culture, a mindset, a holistic customer-first business strategy where the focus is more on like that long-term commercial value. So that kind of looks like you're delivering value incrementally in line with your changing customer expectations. The value exchange, like you mentioned, the value exchange of that customer experience and conversion is actually designed so when we talk about, is it wrong to apply personalization? Is it wrong? Neither personalization is incorrect, but the problem is that you can't expect the Netflix approach to personalization purely by pulling that short-term lever. That, that short-term lever can be used to kick off a POC, unlock business cases and key resources to drive a personalization program. But we see this often. Growth stagnates because organizations become trapped in this cycle of short-term wins without ever really harnessing the power of what an organizational-wide approach around personalization is, which looks like centering their objectives on delivering for the customer. So they're putting, they're actually putting the customer at the core, which sounds really cliche, but that's that's the purpose or that's the key driver, but the long-term objective of personalization. Are you saying that even non-marketing departments should be working towards that, like putting the customer, like say the HR department, the finance department, you think even those can work on providing a personalized experience for the customer? Totally. There are brands that we work with where you may not think it, but the legal department have a lot to do with customer data. Obviously, the tech teams do a lot around enabling the flow of data, as an example. What we mean by an organization-wide approach to personalization is having a shared roadmap so that the roadblocks where the marketing team wanting to run really fast and get things to market, but they need data unlocked and they need they need APIs to be made available, but they're not a priority for our data and our tech teams. So when we talk about an organization-wide approach and a mindset, it's really around aligning the multiple departments. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned also Netflix. And Kate, I have to ask you about this. The If, if we were to talk about a successful case study of a company who does personalization as a company-wide approach and has been very successful, 
what comes to mind? Yeah, so, I mean, Netflix is definitely one of the kind of creme de la creme executions of that organizational-wide approach. But no doubt they started unlocking their very first POC, probably just like the quiz that you to first sign up with preferences. So Netflix is the kind of organization that when you first sign up, you might indicate what your genre preferences are, just like in an e-commerce quiz. And you might say, I really love kind of horror movies and real crime documentaries and whatnot to initially kick off that that POC, like Dash mentioned, to start kind of introducing you to things that are of interest. And then slowly over time, as you continue to engage with the product and we can gather more and more data points, we can create a much more sophisticated and much more updated view of what people are engaging in and then make sure that we then update and refresh some of those original zero-party kind of feeds with more behavioral data as well to bring forward a more personalized experience. I really love that Netflix in particular, we heard about the execution of Orange is the New Black, which of course so many people would have heard of. It's this phenomenal show. But part of what their investment in data is just phenomenal. They pay people full time to watch TV shows and mark up tags of what they see. So they could indicate certain geographies that exist. They might mention whether or not people are drinking or not drinking or what kinds of cuisines they're having, ethnicities. And then they'll use that data and the data that they've got from their individuals that are watching to cut up hundreds of thousands even of versions of trailers to then go and seek out new viewers. So it's very, very cleverly done. And yeah, definitely Netflix are a great example of personalization end to end. I didn't know it was that sophisticated. Like, of course, I'm a Netflix user and you can thumbs up when you like a show or, of course, they know when you play something and they'll suggest similar genres. But I didn't know that behind the scenes that what's actually happening, that's why they're really good at providing the right content for the user. So the whole thing that's kickstarted this conversation was a blog post that you wrote in A3, is that correct? So it's all about personalization. And of course, the way to get personalization right is also think of what pitfalls to avoid. You listed a couple. Maybe for this conversation, let's focus on just three. And let's start with believing personalization is evil, intrusive, and not welcome. And because of the data privacy things that we talked about earlier, this kind of makes sense. What do you guys think? I mean, that was a lot of fun writing that article. And I think if we take a, just a, a little bit of a step back, industry media loves this narrative that personalization doesn't work. Personalization is a farce and, and all of that kind of thing. So the, the article was written with that in mind, just to sort of prove that personalization isn't intrusive. It's not evil. Many brands these days are offering the ability for consumers to opt in and out. And like Kate mentioned, there's this real prevalence around zero party data where we're actually, we have the opportunity to understand firsthand what customers' expectations are because there is an expectation on brands to provide a personalized experience. Customers understand the value exchange of their data and they expect that that data is going to be used yeah, to make their life easy or essentially to drive an experience that's relevant for them. Right. Kate, anything to add there? Yeah, I think in terms of the pitfalls to avoid. I would also say we highlighted Netflix as one of those creme de la creme examples, but I like to give another example, which 
can really make personalization feel tangible to anyone because it kind of puts ourselves in the shoes. So before I started at the Loomery, I used to work for a brand that ran a health center. And one of the things that we learned that had a massive impact on the customer experience, our retention rate, and overall our growth was actually listening to our customers' need. We offered a gym at our center. And our customers told us that they wanted straighteners, hair straighteners in the change rooms. Now, that was absolutely driven by customer qualitative data initially. Seems like a super small, simple thing, but our ability to listen to them, execute that in the change rooms, but then go a step above and beyond to look at when certain cohorts were accessing the gym and tailor make a campaign that was built based on their access times to show off the great change rooms that we had and encourage them to bring a friend, their work bestie beforehand. We used all of that kind of initial qualitative insight all the way through to the data that we had about our customers to provide an end-to-end experience and campaign with integrated data sets that achieved real growth for the company. And that was just a small execution. So you don't have to be Netflix to execute personalization well and yeah it's it's all about that qualitative data just listening to customers as well as layering on top of that any of your hard data behavioral data crm and and whatnot as well that's a super cool example this is like a side topic but people say listen to the customers read the reviews and all that but there's also this kind of debate online where people say only the the customers who leave reviews are either the upset ones or if they're happy with your cost, with with your service, they leave one or maybe they're paid to leave some of the reviews. So do you feel like looking at reviews, is that something that, that would provide value? love that you asked this question, given I'm often wearing my measurement hat. In fact, I think it's glued to the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, just as Darshna mentioned before, in terms of making sure that we don't like create a customer experience directly to lift a KPI, it is still important to listen to customers first, design an experience, but then pick the right KPI to measure it. So it's like making sure that we get that right order in place. But exactly to your point, the, the measures that we used, at least for that campaign that I that I mentioned just before with the kind of starting with the hair straightener, we wanted to obviously to improve referral rate. We wanted to increase customer retention rates and even increase referrals and word of mouth. But one of the immediate metrics that we looked to was reviews and customer sentiment, our NPS scores in the short term, and then over time just trusted that this would help improve our revenue. And it absolutely did. So you need to kind of have a team that understands that you need to measure in the short and in the long term, trust the process, but use those lead measures, sentiment and reviews included, absolutely to your point, to help give you that confidence and keep stakeholders, I guess, on the pathway. (laughs) Right. That makes a lot of sense. You can't just look at that solely, but I think there's still value to looking at those reviews. Okay. The next thing to avoid personalization is the responsibility of one team. Darshana, you kind of touched upon this. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people around me hear me say this quite often, but personalization isn't the responsibility of one team. It's an all wide approach. Again, another stat that I saw recently was around a percentage of brands in everyday life. Personalization is seen as the responsibility of the marketing team. 
but the marketing team can only achieve so much and deliver so much without this reliance and need for integration with every other team in the business, the data team, the, the tech team, the analytics team. Um, and personalization can't just be driven by marketing. So yet to, to sort of run off the assumption that personalization as an org strat can be run purely out of marketing, I think is a setup to fail. The POC could absolutely be kicked off within marketing, but but very quickly that organization would need to, other teams in that organization would need to rally around. Right. Yeah, just, just to add on top of that too, even outside the walls of those kind of enterprise organizations or head office organizations, personalization does need to be adopted even on the front line as well. So looking at the customer service experience, the people that are kind of supporting with certain queries and even directing people through a center, which was in, in that case as well. If you don't have adopt personalization as an organization-wide priority and that's not driven from leadership and the top down, then it's all well and good for us to develop these incredible experiences online or through marketing or to kind of help facilitate ease through navigating an airport via my Qantas app. Whatever those experiences might be, if I have a really horrible experience with a representative of the company on the front line. So it really does need to be that organization-wide approach and we need adoption from every team. Absolutely. And I, I think it's a nice intro to the last pitfall to avoid. What we're doing basically is when you engage everyone on the organization to focus on customer customer first approach, you're you're basically laying the groundwork because it will take a while. It's not like just one survey that a customer fills out. It it's like the Netflix model. It takes a lot of behind the scenes work and involvement with the whole organization. So you mentioned their investment and data structures. You want to elaborate on that, Kate? Yeah, sure. So I suppose even with some of the examples that I've given, it's so, I think something that most people can relate to is this idea that our data very rarely sits in one spot and is completely, perfectly clean in the way that we would like to harness it for the particular use case or execution that we have in mind. But a lot of the work that we can do upfront is thinking about what architecture would be needed to enable us or like unblock use cases for personalization in the future. And that's always something that we can kind of think about ahead of time. So yeah, starting to think about where you're capturing your customer IDs, where your core customer data sits and then how you might like to blend that with other data sources. So whether that be website behavior, call center information and call center logs as well, all of these things can really enrich a customer profile and unblock uh, that ability to nuance uh, experiences that will really improve their ability to, to intimately engage with your brand and, and get their needs met. So yeah, considering it upfront, uh, always worth the investment. Right. I think that's good enough reason. Like if you're looking for a tangible reason why you should um, take personalization as an organizational wide approach, it's this. It's like laying the groundwork for everything because if you put it, if you do start investing on data structures the right way, more long-term results will be achieved, like what Darshana said. So to wrap up our conversation, I have two more questions for you. Actually, I'll start with Kate. If someone is getting started, you know, they haven't done any personalization efforts at all. They've been just doing Google ads and just plugging all the same content for everyone. 
what's your one tip or advice to companies or brands who want to get started with personalization? As someone who spends a lot of their time engaging with quantitative data, I'm a little surprised at my intuitive response to this, but it would be just survey your customers before you dive into the depths of even your Google Analytics account. Just ask them. It's the fastest way to understand what they genuinely want and need and can help you initiate a use case. It was very enjoyable for me and that last organization to kind of indicate what kind of return on investment we got from a few hundred dollar straighteners that we popped in one room in the center. So ask them. Sometimes they can have a really great use case that you can get off the ground fast. And yeah, they're who we're here to serve, I guess. That is something that we can all do right after this call, like after listening to the podcast. I think it's very easy to talk and listen to your customers. There's Shana, I guess my question for you is kind of the same. What's one tip that you would give a company that's more mature in terms of their personalization. So they have been doing some personalization efforts or tactics, but really the what we see often, like it's it's highly driven by marketing, it's short term. What would you advise for someone that's more mature in this journey? I mean, I think maturity is on the organization. So I think it's, I think first the question would be, to ask yourself whether you're executing personalization as a tactic or or you are sort of moving towards that org-wide strategy, remembering that neither use is incorrect, but removing those operational silos and aligning as an organization is kind of where that true loyalty and retention lies. But I'd say the tip that I have, and I'm going to take, I'm going to say there's two tips. First, I'd say to start where you are because personalization is a journey and it's not a destination. And as part of that, your data structures consider your technology stack, but most importantly, consider what your customer's requirement for personalization is. So that's kind of tip one. And then tip two would be define what your North Star for personalization is, because everyone puts the Netflix and the Amazons and the Spotify's of the world on a pedestal and and they, by no means, do they not deserve to be there? I think they do. But what does personalization look like? in your organization and for your customer? Is it is it relevant to have the same level of personalization that Netflix do for your organization? That's for you to decide. And I would say, look for the gaps that you have across data and, and people as probably your starting points for investment. I love that. I love that. And if after this conversation, you're still not convinced that personalization isn't dead, I'm not sure why, what's wrong, but... <laughs> Definitely. I learned a lot from this conversation. I am one who strongly believe that I'm happy to, again, share my data to the right brand who I trust if I know clearly what I'm getting out of it. So there you have it. I hope you guys learned a lot from this episode. I sure did. Thank you, Darshana and Kate for taking time to talk to me about my favorite topic. I'm slightly biased about this. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and for sharing your insight. You want to promote, where can people connect with you if they want to continue learning about privacy, personalization, attribution? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Joshna and I are pretty active on LinkedIn. You can find me as Attribution Gal. And I often have a blog and share a lot of my attribution kind of tips and tricks as well, especially relating to personalization as well. So you can find me over there. Me too. I'm on LinkedIn. I am trying to be as active as, as Kate. But alternatively, we are obviously both Looms at the Loomery. So feel free to connect with the Loomery and find us through there. 
perfect. Again, thank you both for your time. If you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate it if you can subscribe and leave a review. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to No Hacks Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you can leave a rating on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Visit nohacksmarketing.com to subscribe.